Well, it is a delight to be back together at a start of another new year. It's always, you always get to this particular point and think, wow, I can't believe it's 2,000 or whatever number that happens to be. But God has certainly saw fit to lead us to another year. And as we come into the beginning part of our year, last year we began this and we're going to continue the month of January being a set aside for what we have called our Stewardship Month series. I find that my own life personally, that every particular year that goes by, it's so often as you look back and think on your own as you're reflective at the end of a year and the start of a new year, not so much to think about making all the resolutions that I may or may not keep, but more in, the, in line of the reality that I need to recap my own life and my own efforts so that I can begin to get an understanding if, of if I am wholeheartedly following the things that God wanted me to do. And every year I, I get to that same point during the month of January, this has been going on for me for years and years, and there's always a sense in which you, you seem to fall short. Do you feel that every year? And yet there's always this sense of renewed hope of, of the fact that he's given me breath to breathe and a life to live that I can, I can continue to do it over and over again in a way that pleases God, to recommit various components of my life to him. And that's what Stewardship Month is all about. I've even been praying on a personal level, even through the month of December, during the, during the reflection of the incarnation, to think to myself, what is it that God wants me to continue to maintain my focus on. And, and I would encourage you, make the month of January a very uh, devotional, reflective time in your own life to begin praying and asking of the Lord, how can I be a better steward for you? You're going to notice as you leave here today on a table just outside uh, the auditorium, and we have done this, bef- we had done this last year, but there is a stewardship commitment paper. This month we'll be covering the stewardship of time, talent, and treasure in that order after the this, uh, sermon today. And I would really encourage you, begin to pray and ask God to, to help you decipher where is it that you can think about your time and where it's been spent and your talents and your treasure and all those things that encompass your life. And, and take that seriously. Those of you who have, who have uh, filled out that card, uh, part of the unique mentality is you'll seal that envelope at the end of the month, and I would expect to see most of us at the annual meeting, and you'll turn that in. And for those of you who filled that out and sealed, you'll get your sealed envelope back and some time to spend in reflecting over what you committed to last year between just you and the Lord. No one has seen this. No one has opened that envelope. You'll be the first one to reopen it as you have committed that. And, and I hope throughout the year you've maybe even thought about that and brought that back to your mind. Well, stewardship is a really, a very, very important idea because as we all talk about this morning, stewards, we want to talk about stewards who stay on mission. See, what, what will it be, what will become of us if all of a sudden the very thing that we've been called to do is the very thing that we're not doing? See, mission In the idea of having a mission statement, we think about the New Testament and we we think about the words that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2 when he says this, uh, this comment. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And as we focus on the course of this month, what, what is that idea of stewardship? Stewardship, or the word stewardship, is simply just the reality of being a manager of the things that God has so entrusted to you and I, entrusted to us as a church, primarily focused around the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we'll look at our lives and ask ourselves this question, are we being faithful stewards of the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That was Paul's heartbeat. He said to the Corinthian believers, here's how you ought to view us as stewards, as managers of the very things of God. Have you noticed this about your own life and about the way that 
we think about stewarding our life. In many ways, our mission, although it may be at once at one point clear, often starts to drift and fade into the background at times in our life. This happens in companies and organizations and nonprofits in, in a way in which you describe it as mission creep. All of a sudden, you're creeping away from the very mission that God had set your heart to be fixated on. That can happen in the Christian life. And most often it happens through a, a, a sense of lethargy, a way in which we, we, we don't take time to reflect on the kind of life that we should live. We just simply take it day by day, which is, of course, what we can do, but we don't begin to remind ourselves, am I being faithful today? And that is what stewardship reminds us of. Well, there's all kinds of missional components in the Bible, but one, uh, one particular mission statement I think that we could all resonate with in Matthew chapter 28 is, is found uh, where, where we're familiar with this verse. Go, th- go therefore and make disciples, he says, and, and disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things uh, that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. There's a missional reality to that verse, isn't there? Well, guess what? That mission statement is, is, is what we try to mirror as a mission statement for our church. Perhaps you walked by the wall out there and you saw this particular mission statement of Cape Bible Chapel. If you're new here and you've been walking by that and you haven't taken a time to just stop and read it, here's what it says. Cape Bible Chapel exists to be a gospel-centered community of worshipers on mission to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods, among the nations, and the next generation. If we lose sight of the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can often become negligent in our own spiritual lives, while we read the Bible, listen to sermons, go to podcasts, come to church, go to Sunday school, come to small group, and it can be much like over time walking by a wall whose mission statement is plastered in big letters, and, and then someone says, do you know what our mission is? And you kind of think, I know it's there, I can picture the wall, I know there's words on it, but we can't seem to focus on what our calling and mission is. And that is the point of Stewardship Month, to remind us of the calling that we have to stay on mission because stewards are called to do this. Now, as we think about our lives in reference to mission, our main focus as we think about this today is going to be this main idea that faithful stewards seek to stay on mission. Now, because it's so difficult for us, you, I think it's important for you to begin to ask on a personal level, and it's going to carry on and extend even beyond the sermon today. These questions like this, what is it that causes you to drift away from the mission and the calling that the gospel of Jesus Christ has placed upon your life? What kind of things are getting in your way? What kind of areas are you spending time in? What kind of elements are you taking your talents and giving them towards? Are they for everything other than the service in the way that God has called you to him and to his church? It begs the question of our own resources. Where have we taken them? What have we done with them? Is God pleased with the way in which we have been called to steward the things that he has given to us? And so often when people think about stewardship, they're they're thinking to themselves, oh boy, here we go, stewardship month. He's just getting our money. Stewardship in in the gospel and stewardship of your life supersedes the area of finances and encompasses you as a person and everything that flows out of you. It is not just your money. It is not just an isolated your talent or isolation of your time. It is all of those things that encompass 
who you are, what you live for, and what you do with what God has called you to do. It's all of those things. Are you staying on mission? Chapel member? Have you lost sight of why we exist in the community? which is to reach souls, to help them see the salvation that belongs to them in in Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. It's to help sanctify believers. This is our calling, and in order to be able to even further unpack this reality as a steward, I want to talk about this morning four commitments that a steward will make. And here's your first one. You can find these in your outline, and you can fill these components in. The first one is this, and I want you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to anchor it in a text in Isaiah 6, because I think this is so fitting for us to help understand the reality of this particular missional component in our lives as a core commitment uh, as we go throughout the rest of this year. Now, as we think about these things, in Isaiah chapter 6, we've just come from a background of a book of Isaiah, where there's a lot of chaos, a lot of things that that Isaiah was proclaiming and prophesying to say that these things would befall the kingdom of Israel and of Judah. But I want you to tuck this away as as we read this particular section in verses 1 to 6 together, that a prophet of God seems to, in every single case, when he has called by God and he receives a level of vision, that it's this reality. If he cannot see God clearly for who God is and what God will accomplish and that his word is secure, he will not be a very good prophet. You, cannot, you can only be used to the extent in which you see the very glories of God. And that's exactly why I think this happens in the very early stages of Isaiah 6. Follow along with me as you think about this, uh, this passage. In the year of, of King Uzziah uh, died, and I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had, coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now when we think about this reality, one thing that we ought to be as people, stewards of the mystery of the gospel of God, is captivated by the very glory of God himself. You and I will fall incredibly short if we lose a sense of looking at the gaze of the Almighty and being wowed at his holiness. Do you, you recognize it within this passage? After King Uzziah died, and it's so fitting because we understand that his reign was brought to an end because Uzziah, in, in, at the latter end of his life, while for the, for the most part of his kingdom uh, did what was right, he all of a sudden decided that he would go into the temple and he would offer uh, incense before the Lord, which was a duty that only belonged to the priests. And Isaiah says, when this king died, he was taken up and he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. What is this picture that you and I get of the very glories of God? This very exaltation of the majesty of God. Notice something about this glory, this vision of Isaiah. It is, he is, he is lifted up from his earthly circumstances to view the heavenly throne room of God, 
and to be captivated by this one who sits on a throne so high, so lofty and lifted up, and his royalty, which is described that his, his robes and, the, and his, the train of his robes filled the entire temple. He's trying to give you and I a perspective of this exalted, lofty position of God who stands above and outside of all things that have been tainted by sin. See, if we forget this, the danger is to become a spokesman who doesn't really believe in what they're saying. They're just saying what God tells them to say, but their heart is untouched by the reality and captivated by the very glories of God. Isaiah was called to this kind of lofty vision by the Lord himself to help him see that his calling as a prophet, while he would have to say hard things, while he would have to proclaim things repetitively that people would not listen, that it did not change the exalted position of the Most High God. No matter what happens in the year 2024, no matter who ends up being in the Oval Office, no matter what happens in your own personal life, no matter what happens to the chapel, guess what will remain? Our God, high and exalted, lifted up, whose train of his robes fill the temple. This exalted position Isaiah is, that Isaiah is given a vision of. You notice that the elements of this exalted, authoritative God of heaven whose train fills the temple. Now just mark that in your mind and in your Bible. This royalty of the very God of heaven who desires worship. He mentions the temple and the train of his robes that filled it because worship is all about him. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is not primarily about what we do. It is about him and him alone who stands exalted before, before all humanity, before all creation. He deserves the worship of every single individual in this room. So one goal that you ought to have and ask yourself is, how will I worship the God of heaven high and lifted up and be captivated by his glory? And how will I keep this before the gaze of my eyes so that I don't lose sight of how I use my time and my talent and my treasure? Because this God of glory who deserves the worship of all things that have been created, both angelic and human, is a God who desires for us to know him. A God who loves us to a degree that has stooped in a way that we could know how to worship him. This is not just a God of authority and a God of who desires worship, but this is a God that Isaiah says the seraphims even call out. Now get this picture of the seraphims, the angels uh, of heaven who, who are above this throne. There's all kinds of different ways that, minister, that angelic ministers or the angelic beings serve in different capacities, but one of the capacities of the seraphim angel, which the word seraph means to burn, most commentators, at least uh, many of them, would say that this idea has to do with the idea of zeal. There's a zealousness, and now we're just about to find out what are these angelic seraphs uh, uh, zealous over? What are they burning in their, in, their, in their minds and in their hearts about? You know what it is? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There was something so embedded in the side of, of seeing this. These angels had six wings and with two they covered their eyes to demonstrate a sense of humility, to not to even look upon the very majesty of the throne of God of heaven. And with two they covered their feet, descriptive of very, uh, a humble service before the God of heaven. And with their mouth they went back and forth proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. 
This repetition suits itself in the Hebrew language to describe this intense escalation of this person who sits on the throne. Holiness, the very subject of the majesty of God, something that is not just the fact that God is separate from sin. He's separate from everything that has been touched with sin. And the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Recently, as we moved out uh, to more in the country where you don't see the glow of the city lights, and we're sitting there around a fire in the evening, and all of a sudden, darkness lends itself to the gaze of the stars of heaven. And you look to the skies, and you can only find yourself in that position that David would say, when I look at the stars and I look at the things that you've created, it begs within my soul this one aching question, God, what is man that you are even mindful of me, as David says this in Psalm 8, and the son of man that you even care for people like us? The fact that God would receive worship from imperfect, sinful people who have been tainted by sin in the world ought to bring your eyes to appreciation of this majestic, holy, authoritative God that in all his separateness from the world, he wants you and I to be captivated by his glory and his glory alone. Have you recognized this in the culture and the world that everyone lives in all around the world, but primarily in our culture? Think of it, how it impacts us. How easily our gaze, while it might be transfixed at a moment, how quickly from commercial setting to commercial setting to commercial setting. Oh, you need this. Oh, you need that. Oh, this will make you happy. This will make your life more productive, satisfying, peaceful, and you name it, a whole host of things. And we all of a sudden, in our culture and in our own ways, begin to start looking at the things of the world and we become less captivated by God and more captivated by the things of the world. Has it happened to you? I, I sense it in my own soul. A pull from the world, a pull from the deception that Satan, who the prince and power of this world, wants to get my eyes focused on things and take the captive, being captivated from his glory to being captivated on things that are only here on earth. The prophet Isaiah was called to do a task and to speak for the very person of God and he, and, and he would do it better and God knew it if he had a high and lofty view in going to a people who have been exiled and rebellious to say, this God demands your worship and you will, you will worship him. He is holy, he is set apart. When Isaiah came to this point, do you notice his response? And it was equal to so many different angelic encounters and many for many prophets who have been encountered this kind of vision and he falls down on his face and he says that remarkable statement, woe is me for I am lost. You know what he's proclaiming? The very the very gaze of a holy God, the very picture of his authoritative, separate God from all things that have been touched by sin was, I have been impacted by sin. My life is not equal to the God of heaven who sits on his throne. My life has been impacted by sin he recognized his own inadequacies and says, for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips. It takes when you see and are captivated by the very glories of God, what happens is you ought to see this in your own humble life. It causes a response about yourself to yourself and to God. I am nothing without him. He is everything to me. The moment you think about yourself that God has received something special because of you, you are mistaken. 
And it's not because God doesn't view you as precious people. And each one of us is precious people in his sight. We were so precious he sent his own son. But the glory belongs to him alone. That's it. And when you recognize the depth of your own sinfulness, the more majestic the glory of his grace becomes to you. The way up is first the way down in humility. Jesus modeled that in Philippians 2. He left aside all of his glory to stoop and take on the form of man and even be crucified and at his resurrection was brought high and lifted up in his humanity now in his, in his earthly nature and his heavenly nature. This response of each of us is to maintain in, in the year of 2024, as it is for all of your Christian life, to be, very, to be captivated by the very glories of God. I want to encapsulate it in this, in this particular statement. Whatever captivates your life reveals what has captured your heart. Whatever captivates your life reveals what has captured your heart. It sounds very similar, does it not, to Matthew 6, 21, where he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you spend a good majority of of these next coming months of this year and are so captivated by all the things that this world has to offer, and you come a year from now and say, you know what? I have been so taken captive in my life by all the things I've wanted, all of the things I desire, all the things that the world has brought before me. It will capture your heart in such a way that will lead you away from being captivated by the glory of God. That is a warning to each one of us that if God deserves our worship, then we must be determined to give it to him. There's something that's always struck me when I think about mission and I think about goals is that so often we think about mission and something like being captivated by God's glory and it becomes this kind of fictitious reality that we live by, like I just hope that happens to me this year. I'm gonna sit by and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just... Reflect on the things, and I'm just going to hope it. What would be different in 2004 if you set your mind on being determined that you will, you will worship this exalted God in a way that you have never worshipped him before? With a kind of heart and attitude and a full dependence and trust on him. What would happen to levels of discouragement and anxiety and fear? What would happen if all of a sudden you saw a God who was completely sufficient for everything of life and godliness? It would change you. You couldn't help but becoming a different person because God cares that when we see a vision of himself, it's not supposed, Isaiah was not supposed to go away and just say, oh good, thanks for that. That, that was helpful, nice. You're, 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 you're authoritative. It was supposed to bring you to your knees. We as a people, we as a church, ought to be filled with lives in the year of 2024 with more fervency in prayer, more fervency in devotion, more fervency in our zeal, As the seraphs above the throne of God yell, we ought to proclaim as well, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory so that we would commit to the very things as Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to God the Father through him. Oh, chapel members, God longs for us to be fixated on his holy glory. He longs for us never to take our gaze away from the majesty of him being separate from all sin so that you and I 
would be determined to worship and to see ourselves for who we are. And when we see ourselves that way, you will be renewed in saying, I need you, Lord. I need you each and every day. I need you like the very breath that you give me to breathe. I must be captivated by your glory. But it doesn't just stop there. Because when Isaiah saw this component, he was brought low in humility. And our second point as we think about this is we must be people who are not only captivated by his glory, but people who are convicted by his spirit. Do this if you would. I want you to go to, your new, to the New Testament and turn to John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8 gives this incredible statement uh, as Jesus was teaching his disciples in John chapter 16. And he makes mention of this, of the coming spirit, knowing that he will, he will be leaving this world. And of course, the disciples were distraught and they were troubled in their soul. And Jesus reminds them of what he would give and he says he will, he was, he will give this. In verse number eight of chapter 16, he says these words. And when he comes, referring to the spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Are you a person who is ready and willing and humble enough that when the Spirit of God, having captivated you by his own glory and holiness, and he begins to point out in your own heart where you and I fall short Do you do something about it? Do you fall to your knees? Do you, do you respond as Isaiah did when he said, I am, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Do you, do you just gaze at it for a moment like James says, a man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and you say, oh, there's a blemish. Uh, I guess I'll see that tomorrow. Or do you stop for a moment and you look at that mirror of the word of God and you go, there's something wrong about my life, there's, there's a trajectory that I'm on, something that's captivating me, something that is keeping me from glorifying God and worshiping his holy presence, that is conviction. What, is, what does it mean to be convicted as a Christian? I think John chapter three, by the way, verses 16 to 20, I'm gonna give you verse 20, because this, this particular statement in verse 20 that Jesus says, he says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That word exposed is the same Greek word that John 16 uses when he says the Spirit of God will convict the world. You know what he's saying to his disciples is the Spirit of God is going to come and he will expose all of us. He will lay everything, according to other authors, naked and bare before the eyes of God. Every thought, every imagination, every motivation, every, everything that your heart has been transfixed on and captivated by, he will know it. But when he shows you that you don't meet up to God's standards, Christians, we must be convicted by the Spirit of God and respond to the conviction in such a way that when we are exposed before the, 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 pray, the, the holy gaze of this authoritative God, that we humble ourselves in prayer and confession and say, God, we are people who don't match your standards, but God, I want to glorify you. And you can bank on, Christian, Oh, this is such a privilege for us 
sometimes we miss, we lose sight of it, but this 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you notice that when the Spirit comes, he will expose three particular areas according to John 16? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now why sin? Well, because what was going on? Jesus came during, during the ministry that he had here on earth and he exposed the glory of God to sinful humanity through the person of the Son. And what did they do with it? They rejected it because of their own sin and their own desire to create a religion of their own making a hypocritical, legalistic reality that they lived by. And so often Jesus would say to them, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And he revealed the totality of the scripture's perspective on his authority and why they should, why they should respond to him. He is going to convict the world of sin. But are you sensitive to that, believer? Are you here wanting to start out a new year, be captivated by his glory, and yet caught up in sin? That all of a sudden you want to say to God, oh, I love you, and oh, you're so holy, and oh, I can't imagine worshiping anybody else but you, but in the private moment of your own isolated self, you are somewhere doing whatever you want. And yet when you get around those people who are Christians and you know they're worshiping God, you conform to that because you're afraid of what you really know about you. You don't have to be caught up in sin. You can choose to regain a perspective of being captivated by the glory of God through the confession of your sin. And the world will be freed as the Spirit of God fulfills his mission that Jesus sent him to fulfill, which is to convict the world of sin. Isn't it ironic that the one thing everybody in the culture doesn't want to talk about is the one thing the Spirit has come to proclaim? Sin is prevalent in our hearts, and the only remedy for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And you know what that Spirit does? When you repent of your sins and you call out to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins and you make him Lord of your life, he forgives. And all of a sudden, you live for a purpose far beyond yourself. The Spirit not only deals with sin but of righteousness Why would the Spirit do that? Because so often in Jesus' ministry, the the Pharisees and the hypocrites and the scribes and all these legalistic perspectives of pagan religions were all of these perspectives that they did not know what true righteousness was. You know what true righteousness was that the Spirit of God is continuing to, to proclaim? Jesus Christ the righteous. You notice the Spirit doesn't say, Paul the Apostle, the righteous one. Peter, the great Apostle, the righteous one. He shows one thing. The Spirit of God says this. There is one who is righteous and only one. And Jesus Christ is his name. This Jesus Christ who sent the Spirit of God on our behalf and on the world's world's behalf to help them understand what true righteousness was. Righteousness doesn't come by your works because we know what Paul said, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It was the very righteousness of Christ that he came to proclaim. It is the very righteous life of Christ that we mold our mindset after so that we can retain being captivated by his Glory, And you know what, this last one, he's come to help the world understand there is a coming day where sin and righteousness, if you think about righteousness, just think, it in, think about it in this way, simplistically, 
It is all that God says is right in heart, in mind, in affection, and your will. It is that choice of right, it is that righteousness that we will be revealed that will one day be judged. I know people don't like to think about, what do you mean, like I'm going to be accountable? Believers, if you and I lose sight of this reality that we will stand accountable before the judge who sits on the throne of heaven and they give account for all of our life, we will be, have a greater temptation to go and do whatever we want to do and be captivated by whatever we want to be captivated by if all of a sudden we don't remember this holy God deserves a holy sense of worship and he accomplishes and helps us with that through confession, by convicting our lives. This is why you need to be in the word. This is why you need to be regularly having a digest of the things of God because you need to encounter God's holy, righteous standards so that wherever sin may be found in your life, you can get it out of there, confess it, and, and take opportunity to say, God, I don't want that to reign in my life. I want you to reign in my life. The more we do that, the more God is glorified, which means that whenever the Spirit convicts, it's the Christian's responsibility is to confess. Please remember this, brothers and sisters. God wants you on your knees so that when you are convicted because you have sinned, because you haven't met his righteous standard and know that you're going to stand accountable before him, he has provided a mediator between God and man, the man, the righteous one, the high and lofty exalted one, Jesus Christ the righteous so that you could find forgiveness, not only just from your sins, but you could find continual forgiveness and cleansing from your life, and you can be re-engaged in the things of God in a way that you are committed to worship him for the rest of your life. But when the Spirit convicts, you cannot push this aside. You cannot do what Ephesians 4.30 says, and don't be grieved, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think so often when you think about that, I think it begs the question, does it not? How often do you find yourself really grieving the Holy Spirit because of the way that you don't respond adequately and rightly to your sin? Oftentimes we look at it, we see it, and we kind of think, oops, just kind of happen to fall into that. I'll try to do better the next day and try to pull up my own bootstraps and get this thing going again. Believer, you cannot get this thing going without confession and humility and a gaze on the holiness of God by yourself. It takes a perspective of him and your response to it must be confession continually whenever it's needed. And Jesus will meet you there. And he will cleanse you and forgive you and care for you in, in the family of God. It takes a commitment to his truth, not only being captivated by his glory and convicted by his spirit, but a commitment to his truth. You, you notice this, 2 Timothy, turn there if you would. We're going to come to this passage uh, in, our, in our study eventually, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that no, no doubt you are likely familiar it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In verse 17, it says, so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped unto all good works. You know, God has done us such a favor as believers, as Christians, as churches, to not just say, take a look at my glory. Be convicted by my spirit. But he has given us the very proclamation of, of, of what, who he is and what he's done and what worship he's pleased with by giving us a revelation of the scripture so that we won't be fooled by any other gospel that someone wants to preach so we can say that doesn't match up or oh that does match up. This 
gospel and people who are stewards of their life that stay on mission are people who are committed to the truth of God's word. This, this breathed out word is sourced in God, which means every time you go to the word of God, it is a meeting place with God. It is a place, every word you read, every context you scour, every time that you allow your, med- your mind to meditate it, you are having an interaction with the very words and majesty and revelation of God through the pages of the scripture. That's what he's given to you and I. And so often I come across people who take so little time being in the word and then they wonder and ask me the question, why is my life so accompanied with sin? And why, have it, why has my joy been so diluted? And I can ask a few questions, and, and I can ask them about where they've been spending their time and what, kind, what has their time with God been looking like? And often it's minuscule. This Commitment to the word of God is a commitment that is not a 2024 thing. It is a lifelong commitment to understand and know the words of the living God so that you can be free. You can continue to live a holy life, as Peter says. Be holy as I am holy. That you will live with an understanding of what is truly righteous so that you can live knowing that when you stand before the God of heaven in judgment, that he will look at you through the righteousness of his son and he'll allow you into the gates of heaven because he's given you this gift of righteousness that you would never be able to earn for yourself. And this truth speaks of him. Notice what it does in 2 Timothy 3. These are very simple for us. It teaches us, doesn't it? It instructs us. It's good for doctrine. It tells us what to believe and what not to believe. We cannot fall prey to believe whatever you want to believe. Or your truth is as good as any other truth. Let me tell you this. God's truth is better than any other truth. It is more sufficient than any other truth. That includes your truth. Or whatever kind of truth you want to live by. It is good for doctrine. It is good for reproof. Means it has to correct us. That when we are convicted, now we are convicted by the standards that the Bible gives. We confess and we get on with living, being committed to the truth of God's word. And then it corrects us. And then it sustains that correction through training in righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own, but we are trained in the righteousness And who do we look for for that? The life of Jesus. The perfect, sinless, majestic, holy life of the Son. This year, please spend some time in the Gospels. Please get to know this Jesus who came to die for your sins. This Jesus loves you enough to to be willing to sacrifice himself. But you and I must, as an individual and as a church, retain and maintain this connection and of, of commitment to the truth. I want to encapsulate it in this, that whoever's truth you commit to becomes the truth you submit to. Whoever's truth you commit to becomes the truth you will submit to. If you all of a sudden believe that there's some other message, some other truth that is out there that is better than what's been revealed in the Bible, you will submit to that truth. You will live by that truth and you will become captivated by that truth and it will change you, not to the glory of God, but it will conform you to the image of men. It is only through a retention of a commitment to the very words of God that you and I can be stewards who stay on mission because this is the words of the mission. This is the source, the guide, the map, whatever you want to describe it as. It shows you where to go and what to do and how to live. If we don't take that seriously, all of a sudden, we easily find ourselves committing to some other truth and submitting to that level of authority And all of a sudden, it doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't bring conviction. And it it demonstrates a lack of commitment. And lastly, if we're captivated by the glory of God and we're 
convicted by his spirit and we're committed to that truth, then the end result that we long for in our lives and the one that God has so desired to shape us with in Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Is this one single thing to conform you to his image and his image is encapsulated in the person of Christ? We have got to take seriously as people, as individuals, the places we go, the people we're with, the schools you go to, the people you rub shoulders with, the, the bosses you serve, that you are a person who is conformed to the image of the Son. And there, I, I love the verse in Romans chapter 12, which is also a very familiar passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You could probably even quote it, so I will just give it to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the goal. Here's, your, here's what he says. Here's the motive. Whatever's holy and acceptable to God ought to be what consumes and captivates your mind and heart. What is holy and acceptable to God is completely, do you notice this in Romans 12? It is not something that conforms to this world. Which means you, have to, you and I, we have to evaluate our lives right now at the course of the beginning of this year. We should be doing this regularly and saying, all right, what is my life conforming to? When people see me, are they seeing Christ or are they just seeing another person who's living by the standards of the world all the hype that the world gives, all the things that the world has to offer. Be different. The motive has to be God's holiness. The mindset has to be transformation. No longer conform to this world, but be transformed. This, this Greek metamorphosis. Make a change into something beautiful, and that beautiful is the person of Jesus Christ. God desires and has given you the word so that it could it could conform you to the image of his own son so that you would not only have a motive and a mindset, that you would develop a further mentality of discernment based upon the written revelation of God and not your experiences. That truth will reign, God's truth will reign in your life and you can discern what he says is good and righteous and holy from what is worldly and less than what would be pleasing to the Lord. It's exactly what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, isn't it? Whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Because here's why. Because whatever captivates you will conform you. You will be conformed by whatever captivates you. And if you don't Pay attention to the conviction of the Spirit and the commitment to the Word. You will be conformed to a different kind of ideology, a different kind of worldly thinking. But you don't have to be that way. You have a choice. And I have a choice to be captivated by the glory of God when I see Him high and lofty and exalted as Isaiah did, to be brought low in humility and say, God, you deserve my full attention and trust and faithfulness. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So what kind of steward are you? What kind of steward do you want to be? More importantly, what kind of steward would God be pleased with in the year 2024? Will you... Will you steward your family different this year? Will you, as a husband, steward the responsibility of your marriage in a way that brings God at center attention, that he is the most exalted position in your life? That it is not your spouse that you fear, but it is God in whom you fear? 
What about your family? With you as a, as a mom and a dad, will you steward your home in a way that is trying to guide your household into the truth? Helping them, helping them stay accountable to whether they're in the word and being committed and what they're learning and how they're living and what they're doing and, uh, and, and where they're going and all of these facets of their life. Mom and dad, you have got to help your children steward their lives which means you've got to be an example of what it looks like to steward it yourself. What about your friendships that God has uniquely given to you and graced you with these people in your life? People that you walk alongside the Christian faith, the Christian road, bearing, bearing weight and difficulty together. How will you steward them Will you say, oh, I'll just, I'll just see them on Sunday? Believer, you need more than what we offer on Sunday. I need more than what we do here on Sunday. You need a regular diet of not only the person of God, but the people of God. Find yourself committing to a small group Find yourself committing to a Sunday school if you've never been there. Find any way you possibly can to digest more of the truths of God's word so that it will change you, so that you are captivated by his glory. You're more sensitive to the work of the spirit, more committed to the truth. Live in your occupation with unbelievers who are around you at your, at, your, at your workplace so that they see something different about you. Young people, when you go to school, will you just be that same person you've always been, trying to fit in to all the crowds and all the people and all the stuff that everybody wants to, to say and do and party life and all these things that we say, oh, well, I'm young and I have to live it up. Be different than that. Because if God comes back, I'm telling you, young people, you will wish that you will have lived and have been captivated by his glory. He deserves nothing but your soul attention. Good stewards who desire to be faithful to the Lord must evaluate their time, their talent, and their treasure. I challenge you this month chapel. This is a time of evaluation, time of reflection. Here's what I'm doing. As I'm praying, as I'm searching the word, as I'm using my stewardship commitment card, you know where I'm going to be. Next week is time. The next week is talent. The next week is treasure. After every particular sermon, on that particular focus of stewarding your time, could you spend that week praying and asking the Lord and helping, asking him to help you evaluate where you're putting your time and where you should be. Would you do the same thing on talents? Would you do the same thing with treasure? Take your worship of the Lord serious. Let's do it together. And as we see God do the things that only God can do as he transforms our lives, we will give him the glory that he alone deserves. And as we do that, our Father in heaven will be pleased. And if he gives us another year, then I want to get a year from now, and I want to open that stewardship commitment card at the annual meeting at the end of the month of January in 2025 and say, Lord, you helped me, you sustained me, you guided me, and you are so faithful that my, my, my whole life is lifted in, in exalting God through the commitments that I make to him during, the, during the, this portion of my life. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Lord, we do recognize that people who have been tainted with sin have such a hard time being captivated by your glory alone. Oh, Lord, but you have given us the spirit who has sealed us until the day of redemption. You've given us the word of God to sufficiently, Lord, help us persevere to knowing your righteous standards so that we could be conformed to the image of your son. Lord, we long for that. Lord, I long to be transformed 
to the image of your son, and yet in so many ways I fall short. I long for the body at the chapel that collectively, that you are pleased when you, when you set your holy gaze upon us that you would see a people who love you and are guided by the very truths of your word that sustain our lives. Lord, help us with that. In your name we pray, amen.